This podcast is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the Dharma for your life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. Thank you and happy listening. So this morning we're looking at uh, points three, four, and five of the Dasadamas, the reflections that are to be done again and again <coughs> by one who has gone forth. Um, so when we, Pemisir and I met, sort of brainstorm. Initially, we thought of only using the first line of the Sutta. Um, I've forgotten. <laughs> I must go forth from worldly aims and values. Or, uh, and then as we read the others, we thought, actually, they're all interesting and they're, they're all um, variations on a theme, really. Uh, so this one is, is the ethical dimension of that. And in a way, it is about going forth from worldly aims and values, but particularly in the arena of ethics. So I'll just read the translation that we're using, and then also, I'll also read the variants in translation. Uh, So, I should strive to abandon my former habits, is the first one, number three. So, again, you can see the connection with leaving behind worldly aims and values, but it's it's focusing particularly on habits. The other translations of that one are, I must now behave in a different manner, which is very similar. Uh, My behaviour should be different from a householder. And we're not dividing ourselves into monastic and lay. So Subhuti's reflection on this, which he um, devised for a reflection with the Indian order members, is a little fuller and says, As an order member, I live according to different values to most people, with ethical standards not shared deeply by others. I have a goal most others don't have. I belong to a community with shared values and goals. My life should be different, is it? So, yeah, I should strive to abandon my former habits. Um, So that's the kind of going forth, isn't it, from whatever habit habit patterns uh, are holding you back in your spiritual life or unspeakable. Uh, the fourth uh, Dasadhamma uh, says, Does regret over my conduct arise in my mind? So this is three, isn't it? We're, we're, the next two are three in Apatrapia. So this is three. Does regret over my conduct arise in my mind? And the other translations are quite similar. Can I fault myself with regard to my virtue? Uh, one of them says, Does my mind upbraid me regarding the state of my I meant to look up what upbraid meant, and I forgot. Um, improved. Improved. It sounds sort of reproved. Yeah, I thought it was quite strong. <laughs> um, and Sabuti says, as an order member committed to the ten pillars and going for refuge to the three jewels, a high goal and a lofty standard, do I examine myself to see if I have fallen short? With a tender conscience, can I feel free? So does regret over my conduct arise in my mind? And then number five is, could my spiritual companions find fault with my conduct? So here we're in Apatrapia. So the other translations, they're just interesting, slightly different. Um, Do my discerning fellow monks, having tested me, reprove me regarding the state of my virtue? I like the next one. Can, can my fellows in the Dharma life on close examination fault me with regard to my virtue? So it's quite interesting that they both have uh, discernment, testing, close examination. So you, you, you need to know someone well. And Sabutis is, I am an order member uh, with those who share my lofty goals. My failures are their failures. Do I open myself to their reflection on me, their reflection on my unskillfulness and ignorance? Do I humbly accept their comment and act upon it? Do I approach them regularly in a spirit of apatrapia? Uh, 
so um, I'm going to talk before I go into them in more detail. I'm going to talk about uh, sort of ethics in general. And uh, when when we talked about this, it seemed apparent that one of the great paradigm shifts that we're asked to make as practitioners in the realm of ethics or in the realm of life really <coughs> is the shift from the power mode to the love mode, which we've already talked about to some degree. But I wanted to go into that a bit more again uh, before we go into the sort of details. So yeah, I'd quite like to revisit that territory, the complete giving up or renouncing of any kind of power, whether gross or subtle. <coughs> and I have great interest in the whole idea of renouncing blame, which I think is part of giving up the power mode. It's one of my favourite topics, <laughs> which I try to renounce. <laughs> so I'm going to draw on um, Bante, uh, Bante's um, 1984 uh it's a paper, wasn't it, on the um, on the Ten Pillars, where he talks about the power mode and the love mode. Uh, I'm going to draw on the Dhammapada, and I'm going to draw on some of the mind-turning teachings. So it's very interesting that we were founded in 1968. Something's happening. You haven't been speaking to me. Sorry. You're going to lose anything. Um, yeah, we were founded in 1968, so everybody ordained from 1968 to 1984 had taken the ten precepts, and presumably we tried to put them into practice. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't until 1984 that Bante did this. It was at a WBO day, you were there, weren't you? WBO day in York Hall, some room yeah. in York Hall, yeah. So often WBO days in those days, if Bante was around, he would take that as an opportunity to present us with some new teaching. And this was a very long paper four hours, um, which was read by others because he, and he, started, he started and then his voice went through. So it was Mahler and David Mitchell. David Mitchell. Yeah. So it was a whole day of this paper being read. Um, and what was interesting about it was it was a secret what it was going to be about. So he kept it a secret. He didn't tell us. So we were all thinking, what's it going to be? What's he going to tell us? Uh, Nagabading you, and uh, I don't think any of us thought it would be on the ten precepts. I think we thought it would be much more, either much more exciting, sort of tantric, and or it would be much more, I don't know, yes. challenging in some other way. <laughs> Maybe it would be the wreath of blue lotuses or something. Anyway, let me go back there. Um, so that was just quite interesting. That uh, you know, that's Bante. You know, so many years after. Um, I'm sure he talked about ethics, but you know, unfolding those ten precepts in the way that he did in in that paper, which has formed the basis for retreats and the ordination training. Um, so I think it's it's some of his reflections, isn't it, on those precepts? It's, it's um, he, he's kind of taken it for granted with that we know what they are, uh, but then he kind of um, has his own reflection. I suppose one of the great reflections is the kind of depth with which he goes into that first precept. It's not just about not killing folks, although that's very important. You know, he talks about this whole shift from the power mode to the love mode. So he goes very, very deeply, as he does, uh, you know, into topics, dharmic topics. Um, so I think that was very, very exciting at the time, and if we reflect on it, it's still exciting, isn't it, really? So he says that... Um, Shifting from the power mode to the love mode, from harm to non-harm, is the most direct and most important manifestation of the spiritual act of going for refuge. It's non-violence. And he also says that as a result of our imaginative identification with others, there takes place within us a change so great as to amount to a change in our centre of gravity, so to speak. So, you know, you have this sense of this, this paradigm shift, this shift um, from power to love. And he says in the seminar on the Ten Pillars, he says, if we were to go deeply enough into the first precept, we would be almost enlightened. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a precept as a, a rule, is it? It's not just <clears throat> even as a rule of training. It's, it's, it's looking so deeply into the principle uh, of that first precept, and that first precept uh, underpins <clears throat> all the others. So, yeah, it's a huge shift for us to make that shift, isn't it, from power and all its manifestations to love. And he says it will take time. 
um, so he reminds us that you know that matter is foundational to that, and also that nonviolence or love, which he seems which he equates, is a principle. And given that it is a principle, there's no limits to the number of ways that we can apply that, and it should naturally manifest in more and more areas of our life, and applies not only to people but to animals and to the environment. And love is infinite. Um, in a seminar I was on with him on the dual ornament, I was on the, the seminar of benevolence and compassion, and I think it was the 80s, those, those seminars. Um, he's talking about love, and uh, it's one of his, Afro, I don't know if it's ever been published anywhere else, but it's you know, an aphoristic saying of Vante where he says, love is warm but not clammy, hot but not sticky. Which <laughs> <laughs> I always really liked. <laughs> <clears throat> So it's interesting when we look at the precepts, they're, they're very much um, involved with purification, on the purification of body, speech and mind when we do the positive precepts. Um, but when we come to the mind precepts, there is again this sense of uh, a change, a transformation. We abandon covetousness for tranquility. We change hatred <coughs> into compassion and we transform ignorance into wisdom. So this sense of you know, a turning around in our mental attitude <coughs> with those mind precepts. So yeah, we're 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 trying to bring about a, a, a radical shift in our in our mental attitudes uh, from any kind of harm or power to a mind totally infused with metta, the love mode, which of course is bodhicitta. <laughs> and the expression of that love uh, is solidarity with all life, isn't it, with all beings, and that ability to put ourselves in place of another, to put ourselves in the shoes of others and to uh, respond to others with, uh, with a cherishing, nurturing, protecting love. So yeah, I just want to sort of look at uh, the whole area of, of blame, giving up on blame, as part of renouncing uh, the power mode. <clears throat> and I've done quite a lot of study on the mind training. I think I've been interested in the mind training and studying it trying to put it into practice maybe it's 15 years or something coming across um, the seven point mind training Tibetan version of the mind training and the eight verses of Langri Tangpa um, so Param and I have done sort of several retreats on these and we've done retreats and study on them separately um, and those texts you're, you're, they're texts about cultivating bodhicitta so you're trying to bring about a new mind, a new mind without power, based on that kind of love, that cherishing love. And central to those teachings, uh, in order to bring about bodhicitta, is the whole focus on what's called taking difficulties onto the path. So, uh, and that involves um, not reacting or retaliating, uh, seeing all beings as precious, renouncing blame, taking responsibility, and it in, in includes some very challenging aphorisms or verses or slogans. And my experience of this, uh, doing this study is that people find it very, very challenging. Um, so often what people say, I did some study uh, with some of the order members in um, mainland Europe, I think it was a couple of years ago, and we were, it, so as an order we were studying the eight verses, and uh, yeah, you're trying to renounce blame, you're trying to, I'll, I'll go into the, some of those verses in a little bit, you're trying to see people who seem to do things to you, bad things to you, as your, as precious as your you know, great spiritual friends. And people find it challenging. So people are saying things like, well, we can't teach this to beginners. And I'm saying, well, we're not, are we? We're sitting here studying it as an order. <laughs> Somebody said, and this often gets said, but I didn't sign up for this. And I, oh, yes, you did. I'm sorry, but you did. I know it's challenging, but, you know, that to develop non-harm, is it's the kind of essential nature of Buddhism, isn't it? But, yes. So people kind of get kind of antsy and kind of flouncy and reactive. Even when, you know, studying the Bodhi Chariot, the same thing happens. And it's because it, it is really so challenging. Um, I was talking to Paramatha this morning when he was giving me a session. I can't remember what he was telling me, something that was difficult. 
And I said, oh, yeah, we have to lean into the difficulties, don't we? Which is one of the approaches of the mind training. You don't go, <gasps> you go, OK. And he said, yeah, sounds great on paper, doesn't it? <laughs> which is true, isn't it? So I think it challenges, doesn't it, all kinds of resistances and rationalisations. And, uh, you know, challenges deeply held assumptions and views. But if we go back to the Dharmapada, um, this is an essential teaching, isn't it? Those who entertain such thoughts as he abused me, he beat me, he conquered me, he robbed me, will not still their hatred. Those who do not entertain such thoughts as he abused me, he beat me, he conquered me, he robbed me, will still their hatred. Not by hatred are hatreds ever pacified here in the world, they are pacified by love. This is the eternal law. So there it is, right back in the Dhammapada. And that gets taken up by Shantideva in his exchange of self and other and all his kind of wonderful um, sometimes it seems like mental g- gymnastics he's trying to convince you you know not to retaliate not to respond you know they have the stick but you've got the body you have to take responsibility for being there um, and then that's followed through into these mind training teachings So yeah, this is this connects very much with we should strive to abandon all my former habits. We should strive to abandon all unskillful actions of body, speech and mind and abandon the power mode and cultivate the love mode. And sometimes it's put that we need to give up the advantages of the power mode, which I think is quite interesting because obviously we wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> well, I come on a little bit more to why we react in the ways we do, but you know, in our mind somewhere, in our instincts, we feel there's an advantage to retaliating getting the best of people competing and all those kind of things uh, so it's a, it's a kind of strategy but it's a kind of misplaced strategy isn't it because it doesn't really help in the deepest sense or in the long run but we want to get what we want so <clears throat> that's what we do sometimes and uh, we're caught in the power mode, aren't we? Because we still have, or to the extent that we still have a fixed view of self. So some kind of separate self that we need to protect in some way that's central and important to us, which, you know, is kind of, that's how that works, isn't it? It's a kind of, um, it's a given, isn't it, in our makeup, that sense of self. Those atmaclasias from the Yogacara point of view, they're very, very deep in our uh, Klisto Manavinyana. So that, any kind of, degree of separation or sense of self, self-love, self-pride, self-delusion, uh, self-view, self-affection, uh, leads to all kinds of power uh, expressions, subtle coercion, competitiveness, rivalry, comparison, envy, jealousy, pride. And this whole thing about trying to get one's, what one thinks, well, the most important needs, my needs, met, <laughs> Uh, sometimes without considering the consequences or the effect on others or on the world. <coughs> and when that kind of sense of self gets threatened, uh, yeah, we fall into all kinds of uh, rationalisation, we feel right, we feel righteous indignation, we have a desire for retaliation. And we also feel that someone is responsible, not us, someone is to blame sometimes we do blame ourselves I'm going to come on to that as well but someone is to blame so blame um, I don't know if uh, there's an actual it's a translation of a actual Sanskrit or Pali word but anyway it's kind of in the area of resentment grudge holding um, and the desire for revenge isn't it and there's a quote from Attila, I don't know where this comes from, but anyway, this is an Attila quote, which I like, uh, where he says, entering a spiritual community requires us to give up blame. We're entering a ritual space where events are endowed with a completely different significance and where the ordinary ways of looking at the world do not apply. So entering a spiritual community requires us to give up blame. We are entering a ritual space where events are endowed with a completely different significance and where the ordinary ways of looking at the world do not apply. So I'm not saying that this is an easy task or that we can do it all at once, but, uh, you know, we have signed up 
in the sense that we've gone for refuge and committed ourselves <coughs> to practice those precepts and the first precept in, in, in that deep sense of the love mode we have committed ourselves to uh, continually trying to give up power and all its lovely manifestations so blame is, uh, arises when something happens to us isn't it? someone says something, does something uh, to us um, and it can be from the really really bad to the really quite minor and we feel, for whatever reason, we feel hurt. Uh, we have offended pride. You can feel it, can't you? <laughs> Diminished, humiliated, made small. Um, yeah, we're offended. We can be, feel self-righteous. We have righteous indignation. And I think the response to that is very deep and visceral and instinctive. And I think we just need to understand that, that you know, it, it kind of happens. It probably happens in one of these back brain things that people talk about who do neuroscience it's probably slightly a survival technique isn't it it's fight or flight and we fight in some way um i think it's instinctive and there's a kind of instinctive desire to sort of right the balance put the balance right you've lost your balance you've been knocked off your spot in some way your ego's been knocked off its spot and there's a kind of you want to kind of even out the ground again and um yeah, so I think it's deeply instinctive. So I think that it just adds to our understanding of the, the task we have to turn that around. So we want to even things out. We, that may arise as we want to get our own back in some way or pay back in some way. Um, and even if we restrain the kind of more gross aspects of kind of lashing out or retaliation, we play scenarios out in our mind, don't we? <laughs> Often. <laughs> um, so, you know, it happens mentally. Um, so we may be a more hot anger type. And we, may, we may not be able to restrain ourselves so much because we're of that type. Or we might be a sort of more slow burn, resentment, grudge holding type. That's me. I'm, I'm one of them. I, I can blow, actually. I do blow sometimes. But <laughs> my tendency, my conditioning is, is one of those... So you brood over past hurts. <laughs> and uh, one of the mind training slogans that I really like, well, I, I like it, but because it's kind of, is don't wait in ambush. And I came across that, I said, oh, oh God, <laughs> that's so old. <laughs> so I don't like it in the sense I like it, but I kind of think it's so good, isn't it? Don't wait in ambush. Um, so, yes, don't wait in ambush. Um and there's a Marshall Rosenberg in the nonviolent communication work. Um, you know, he has kind of giraffes and jackals. He has puppets, doesn't he? The giraffe is love, and the jackal is. <laughs> you have to let your jackal out. And he has this um, category that he calls a yay saying jackal. So the yay saying jackal is someone who goes, things happen to you, and you go, okay, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, let's not, you know, da 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 da. Yes, 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 yes. He says, and then you blow and everybody pays. <laughs> so you kind of say yes, 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 until you can you just can't do it anymore and then you go and that's me. That's my kind of conditioning, my habit, my habit with my older brother from when I was tiny. Um yeah. So then you blow and uh, everybody goes, What? <laughs> so he sat when I was tiny with my brother. He was bigger than me, so he could kind of boss me around. And then I'd kind of wait. I was only wee, you know, I'd wait till he was kind of um, unaware. And then I'd try and get my own back. And uh, then we both get sent to bed, and I think that was so unfair. <laughs> he'd done this thing to me, and didn't anybody notice what he'd done? <laughs> then when he came back to England, you know, like so many years later... Same dynamic, you know, I go back to being three, he's five, and we have a falling out, <laughs> as siblings sometimes do. <laughs> yeah, so that's one way of kind of responding, um, is to kind of, you know, lie in ambush. Some people just respond immediately, don't know, they're kind of much more hot in the, in the moment. And I think, and apparently would agree with me here, but I think hot anger people get a worse press. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> not the resentment is you know very nice but you know sometimes because it's kind of out there isn't it and uh, well it has an effect doesn't it but anyway when you blow eventually as a yay saying jackal everybody goes 
I thought she was so nice. Yeah, so anyway, this is all about some, we think someone is responsible, someone is to blame. Who is the culprit? And uh, that, you know, that leads us into wanting someone to pay, and that might be another individual, or it might be an organisation, or takes them to some kind of litigation, or I think sometimes we take the moral high ground. <laughs> it's the righteous indignation, isn't it? It's got body language, isn't it? <laughs> or sometimes we scapegoat somebody. You know, all those things are kind of part of this, part and parcel, aren't they? Um, but when we're doing this, when we're blaming externally, um, we're not to blame. Um, someone else is to blame. And we don't want them to get away with it, and we are right. Came across a quote, I haven't put where I got the quote from, uh, but it says, um, vengeance is the ego's way of avoiding grief. That's good, isn't it? So there's pain, there's hurt. <laughs> and you kind of uh, lash out, you know, because you can't bear to face that hurt. So in all this work in the mind training and what comes from the Dharmapada and turning around the power mode, we're not saying that there may not have been harm done. Mm-hmm. Harm may well have been done. Or even that justice is not appropriate. You know, real justice mm-hmm. uh, is not appropriate. Or that we should be doormats, which is often what people mm-hmm. think when they kind of approach this material from our own particular set of conditionings, I think. So we need to speak up about injustice. Uh, we need to have boundaries sometimes, don't we? You need to have, be able to say, and, you know, yay saying jackal, she'd say no much, much earlier on, clearly. Uh, and it's not about um, taking the blame for everything that happens to us from a karmic point of view, because we need a kind of thorough understanding of the niyamas. Mm-hmm. What it's saying is we have a choice about how we respond to what happens to us. That's, you know, that's the edge of the work, isn't it? We have that choice. Only we have that choice, really. And the Buddha taught there's no justification for hatred. Uh, in those lines in the Dhammapada, and, you know, there's the parable of the saw, even if somebody's sawing off your limbs, you're given to hatred, you are not one of my disciples. There's the, the, the monks who hear the Buddha being run down, and they get kind of cross and go into righteous indignation, and the Buddha says, what did I teach you about? non-violence, etc. So it is, you know, it is a, a very deep thing that we're trying to work on. And uh, in the mind training, the approach of taking or taking difficulties onto the path is um, seeing obstacles as uh, an opportunity, seeing all, obstacle, all obstacles as opportunities to wake up. And the mind training says, to do that, you don't need great learning, but you do need great courage. Mm-hmm. So that shift is all about, it's all about taking responsibility for ourselves, isn't it? So one of the slogans in the mind training is, drive all blames into one. Mm-hmm. They're good, the slogans, because you sort of remember them, even if you can't remember all 50, whatever of them. <laughs> Some of them kind of always stick in your mind. So that isn't about neurotic self-blame, which I'm going to come on to. Um, It's a a sort of understanding of the way things are and seeing that um, it's our own ego clinging that gives rise to suffering. We are still living in that subject-object-self-other power mode dichotomy. So... You know, our responsibility is to ask, what did I contribute to that situation? It may only be that we were there, <laughs> but we were there. Um, and we're trying to see whatever situation without our, our habitual biases and projections. And it, uh, the mind training texts say, well, so often we blame others when something happens to us, but we do the same things. We do the same things to others, and we're much more lenient with ourselves sometimes. <coughs> So yes, you can use reflections like that. Well, um, everything happens because of ego clinging. That's one sort of set of reflections, isn't it? Um, we can also reflect that, well, stuff happens, isn't it? Stuff happens. Um, we can't fix sangsara. We can't live a kind of totally cocooned 
safe life in which nothing ever happens to us and nobody ever dies and nobody ever leaves us and nobody ever says anything slightly unkind to us or nobody ever puts the rubbish out. You know, <laughs> we just can't live. We don't live in a world like that, do we? So we live in Sangsara, we live in the world. There's Dukkha. And all those things happen. And in a way, it's like having a, you need a deeper understanding, don't we, of the nature of conditioned existence. I think Parami was talking, you were talking about this yesterday, weren't you, about the lactions. Dukkha, impermanence, insubstantiality. And, it, and it, we need to let go of a certain naivety, I think, or, or the views, see the views that underpin a certain kind of naivety that life's supposed to be fair. Mm-hmm. It just so isn't fair. <laughs> it isn't fair. Um, in all kinds of ways, without falling to cynicism. Mm. So yeah, an emergence from from a certain kind of naivety that that uh, well, you have to look at your own kind of views that underpin that sort of naivety. Is it that you know life should be fair, or what is what is the view underneath it? Um, it's not fair. It shouldn't happen to me. Why me? Etc. Etc. And you have to go to a much deeper place in yourself, don't you? A deeper place of love and a deeper place of faith. So shraddha is very, very, very important, isn't it? The deeper our shraddha, the more we can lean into difficulties. Um, and also forgiveness and uh, kshanti. Kshanti is the great antidote to blame uh, in the mind training teachings. And this whole thing about just being able to turn towards whatever difficulty, turn towards pain in ourselves, um, turn towards obstacles when we can. So drive all blames into one, which is kind of just seeing that suffering arises from uh, this illusion of a separate ego. And the following aphorism is interesting because it says, be grateful to everyone for everything. (laughs) So beings are precious, beings are precious because they provide us with many of those opportunities to wake up. <laughs> They're precious to us. So this, this is quite um, clear in, in the eight verses of Langrud Tangpa. I don't know if you've come across these eight verses. They're very uh, good to study. I think there are some talks on Free Buddhist Audio on the eight verses by various folk. I'm just going to pin... Hmm? By me, is that? Oh, by me, even. <laughs> Langrud Tangpa... Uh, L-A-N-G-R-I-T-H-A-N-G-P-A. <laughs> Eight verses. It's quite a late um, version of the mind training. Later, I think. Um, so the, the first verse, the main kind of uh, point of the first verse is that we cherish all beings as precious and we desire their highest good. So you set your aspiration of bodhicitta in, in the first verse. Uh, in the second verse, it's interesting, we work against pride, so we work against uh, absolute <coughs> this the, the whole thing about pride, because we're willing to treat other beings as honoured guests and serve them with love and respect. The third verse is we resolve to deal with our own kleshas, with our own inner hindrances. So these are kind of preparatory. And then we come on to the next verses um, where we're trying to take difficulties onto the path. So there's three situations. So the first one is um, when we meet a difficult person. So this is just someone who's difficult. It's not personal. We just come across them there says ill-natured uh, or they're bad-tempered or they're overcome in some way by some kind of oppression you know they're suffering in some way and and they're around us in some way and uh, so rather than respond to them with some kind of aversion we see them as a treasure trove this is always always trying to see the others as precious to us because they act as a mirror and they show us where we're at so I was thinking what's an example of this recently in my life and I was thinking well you know I live in London big city lots of people you're always crammed in tubes buses you know with people you don't know from a bar or so and there seems to be quite often (laughs) on the 254 bus (laughs) someone who smells very badly and they come and sit next to you 
So, you know, there's not personal <laughs> to me in any way whatsoever. I just happen to be on that bus and they come sit next to me. And it's very hard, isn't it, not to kind of go, you know, to not, you know, just to shrink and turn and kind of... Actually, it's not just in London. There was um, a train from uh, Birmingham to Colwell that I was on a while back. Somebody was on the train and uh, everybody was kind of... It was really, really bad. <laughs> Kind of, so you kind of close in, don't you? Go into some kind of aversion. So you, while you may try not to breathe, well, you know, that's fine, isn't it? You might just find it easy just not to breathe for the, till the next stop or something. I guess you're also trying to, yeah, just not go into more aversion than, or more kind of just protection than you need and kind of just go into a whole story about that person. Because that person is unfortunate you know they probably they don't realize often do they that's mm. they're having that effect and you know what their home circumstances are they homeless they just have to be in a bus or i don't know it's trying to just isn't it just kind of open up to that person and the, and the situation they find themselves in so then it gets personal in the next verse it's personal <laughs> <laughs> So the, the verse says, someone um, has done you wrong out of envy. Uh, and the verse says, um, you need to uh, give them the victory and accept the defeat. Now, this is the verse that everybody goes, no, not going to do that. <laughs> and that's, no, no, <laughs> no, I didn't sign up for this. And I think what it's asking us to do is to step out of that whole paradigm of victory and defeat, really, and sort of step out of the power mode, because that's all about victory and de defeat, isn't it? And uh, step out of the paradigm of battle and, um, and respond with love. Don't just don't play the game. Don't just caught up in the game of retaliation. You know, someone is behaving in an unpleasant way to you. Um, yeah, just don't fall into... <laughs> just don't fall into it if you possibly can you just got to sort of get bigger haven't you and sort of at least um, non-harm non-retaliation mm. non-aggression even if it can't be love compassion you know just hold um, you once asked Banty didn't you a little while ago about what you needed to develop spiritually and he said <laughs> total objectivity <laughs> which we've been trying to unpack ever since haven't we? what does that mean total objectivity there's something about isn't there a perspective a sort of <laughs> on a situation uh, trying to hold something and it's just very very hard isn't it and also this kind of um, I haven't got the verse here actually but uh, this um, giving up the uh, Giving the victory, giving the taking the defeat, it is also um, a verse in the Dhammapada. So it's, it's mm. taken from anybody. So then it gets really, really personal in this set of verses. <laughs> uh, someone close to us, who we have trusted, who we've kind of invested some kind of hope in, you know, in what they may do for us or help us with, you know, in a spiritual context, I guess, because this is a teaching to to um, to practitioners has let us down. So we had hopes and expectations of them, and in some way, they've let us down. So that's quite hard to deal with, isn't it? Yeah. Not easy. So all sorts of things get triggered when that happens to us. Um, it might not be in a spiritual context, it might be the end of a love affair. That's often when we feel let down, isn't it? It's one of the big areas where we feel, as we say, betrayed. So we're triggered into all kinds of feelings. Uh, we might feel rage, uh, outrage. We can feel deeply hurt, let down, shocked, devastated, humiliated, alienated. We've been such a fool. Mm -hmm. Why did we kind of, you know, invest? Well, our world's falling apart. We're in despair. We're in grief. Uh, and it's, you know, after all I've done for you, <laughs> you've done this. It's all that, isn't it? Kind of very, very strong response to be to feel let down in, all, in whatever way it is and uh, we're being asked to see these people 
as excellent spiritual friends. It's very, it is very, very challenging, this whole kind of renouncing of blame. So again, if, you know, if we're faced, if we can sort of turn towards our feelings and kind of hold them in some kind of greater perspective, we're faced, with, again, with our naivety and our unreasonable expectations, our illusions, our not understanding deep enough the way things are. So if you've done any um, non-violent communication or compassionate communication, um, blame is something that you work on quite often in those kind of scenarios, in, in, in those uh, trainings. And uh, those of us who've done some of that work have been told, and then we know, <laughs> that you cannot say, I feel betrayed. Betrayed is not a feeling. So many things end in ED, according to non-violent communication, and this is incredibly helpful, actually. They're not feelings, they're interpretations and judgments. Because when you say, I feel betrayed, you assume that someone else set out to betray you. Um, there's other examples. Mm -hmm. any other Judge. Judged. Yeah. Um, Let, uh, unseen. Unseen, misunderstood. Yeah. So, that, you know, you're, you're, it's out there, isn't it? The, you know, you've done this to me. So I remember doing a, a non-violent communication weekend at Triana Loka where someone in the group had had uh, you know a very very painful end of a relationship and she said i feel betrayed and uh, i remember bridget saying it's not a feeling and there was a quite a strong <laughs> discussion or argument <laughs> about that um so you it's not that you don't feel something very strongly but you have to find out what the feeling is i, I i'm hurt i feel really hurt i'm upset i'm feel desperate you know, whatever it is I feel like my life's falling apart I feel like kind of you know whatever. so you have to get to the feeling um, and not you know because otherwise you're caught up in the blame so that's just very very interesting sort of reflection to sort of notice when you say something like that is it a feeling or is it a judgment of someone else's behaviour and I remember what she said Bridget she said well um because you know you're talking about feelings and needs uh, in in nonviolent communication that um, the other person had a different need. They had a need for freedom. Mm -hmm. They ended the relationship with you. They had a need for freedom. Quite hard to, mm -hmm. <laughs> isn't it? Just open out to think. Oh gosh, I guess you know you're trying to put yourself in the shoes of another, aren't you? They didn't mean to hurt you, but they didn't still want to be in this situation. Maybe they didn't do it well. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so they didn't... They might have done it clumsily, they might have done it better, etc., etc. But um, they didn't set out to betray you. Mm. I think it may be... Um, I don't know if it's Banty or James Hillman talking about betrayal, where he says betrayal, and you know we're kind of moving into a slightly different discourse, is an entry into a new kind of consciousness. So you have to sort of, you know, if you're going to work with it, you have to just kind of open up and look at things differently. You have to embrace, hold all those difficult feelings. And uh, I think he says you enter the desert, and the, the desert is a wonderful place where everything becomes clear. So if you can be in the desert with those feelings of loss and aloneness and etc. So there is a whole essay by James Hillman about betrayal. I mean, he's talking about it in a slightly different way. And he starts with a story, um, which I won't go into the story, but uh, you can find the essay online. People find it really quite helpful, it seems. Uh, so he's talking about a story about betrayal. And um, he does talk about that uh, we're all going <laughs> to... He's just going to use it as a feeling if it's a different kind of discourse, but uh, we're all going to feel some sense of betrayal somewhere along the line. We cannot live in the Garden of Eden where nothing bad happens to us. We have to grow up. We have to mature. We have to leave the Garden of Eden. So, yeah, something's going to happen to us which is going to hurt, and uh, then we need to... You know, we need to work with that and turn it around and 
work creatively with it. Um, and he says so often, um, the first time in life that something happens to you or the major thing happens to you that really, really hurts. And it often is, uh, you know, maybe a bereavement or maybe the loss of a love affair. Or maybe you, you're attacked, you know, in some way, you're physically attacked. That's very kind of difficult, isn't it? That's never happened to you before. You're mugged or, you know, you lose faith, don't you, in the world and humanity. And he says there's all sorts of... Um, sort of strategies and reactions you can fall into which are not helpful but you can get kind of stuck in so one of them is resentment which we've talked about you just kind of endlessly brood over uh, the incident that happened um, I think there's a sort of wonderful um, image in literature of somebody getting stuck isn't it is uh, Miss Havisham in Great Expectations mm. <laughs> kind of uh, stood up at the altar on her wedding day and uh, she never moves beyond that so she's, you know, the wedding feast is there it's all covered in cobwebs, she's still in her wedding dress and it's so many you know, I don't know, years later and not only that but uh, you know, she works towards vengeance on all men through Estella, it's a very very strong image of um, yeah, resentment and revenge <laughs> um, so revenge is the next one which we've talked about <clears throat> don't lie in ambush um, but the other Sorry, one... I'm just being... It's gone. It's... Is that a horn? Yeah. I put it out once already. Oh, this God. Morning. Anyway. Um, just carry on. Just... I'll keep breathing because I hate them. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm phobic. Um, so we go on to... Um, denial of the positive, which I think is a really interesting thing that happens. Uh, so someone... You know, it's particularly that verse where someone we invested a lot in, you know, we put a lot of our expectation and hopes in, something happens, they don't do what we want them to do, and uh, they fall off their pedestal. And all their previously good qualities, which we raved on about, are, are as nothing. <laughs> love and hate. Thin line between love and hate, as Chrissy Hines sang many years ago. <laughs> so we kind of know that, don't we? And, you know, it can happen in the spiritual community, can't it? You know could happen with individuals in the spiritual community because the stakes are so high and the projections can be strong and, uh, you know, we expect perfection and uh, people are human, Dante's human, pedestals, off. <laughs> uh, so, yes, that, that happens. A denial of the positive. I always knew he was. I always knew she was. To look out for the the little sort of phrases that you use, don't you? And uh, you need to sort of look at yourself and your own um, faults and failings, you know. Let he, she who is without sin cast the first stone to change religions. <laughs> you know, have I behaved like that? Or, you know, what, what's my behaviour like? What have I done? Am I perfect? Am I, why am I expecting other people to be perfect. And I think we don't always just do it with individuals and in life mm -hmm. and in the spiritual community. We do it with the spiritual, we do it with groups, we do mm -hmm. it, we can do it with the spiritual community, which of course we then made the spiritual community into a group. So often people resign, don't they, because something's happened. Maybe in their part of the spiritual community or their part of Tree Ratna, you know, it's not the whole shebang, but it, it, it's just very hard for them to kind of get over whatever it is and um, uh, cynicism is the other thing we can fall into cynicism <laughs> you're pulling your face so apparently <laughs> yeah so you know we're trying to hide our scars our wounds uh, we don't want to go there it's too painful so we're kind of yeah it'll all end in tears that was one of mine after a, a, a very bad heartbreak many years ago. Anybody, anybody said to me they were getting into a relationship, I go, we'll all end in tears. <laughs> I got told off by my community that I had to stop it. Apparently <laughs> being one of them. Yes. In a way, it does all end in tears, doesn't it? Or death or something. But I mean, it's not the approach to take. <laughs> one known sort of cynicism. So you have to look at your own shadow side, really. Um, Yeah, so denial of the positive in others, but you also got a sort of self-betrayal where you give up on your own sort of dreams and ideals. I mean, they, they interlink, don't they? So 
um, if the spiritual communities fall off its pedestal and become a group, um, you know, you had ideals and values around that, didn't you? And um, you just you give it all up. You know, you go back to material life. And um, <laughs> why would I, well, you know, how can I have been so stupid to join this outfit? And you know, I'll never fall in love again. <laughs> it's the song is I'll never fall in love again. Uh, so. Yeah, and the last one that he suggests is paranoia. So we've been hurt, and there were sort of, we don't want to be hurt again. Life's about, you know, things happening, isn't it? Getting hurt, being able to sort of work with that, and being able to sort of take obstacles onto the path, being able to be open to loss, which makes, you know, if you can really open to loss, your heart opens. You can, you know, you can be empathic to that in others. You can grieve with others. You know, it kind of leads to so many things, doesn't that openness? But the closing down, you know, just really, really close down. So the paranoia, uh, if there's been loss, you want everything pinned down. You want contracts and stipulations and conditions. You know, you want you want to know where you stand. Absolutely, the prenup. And you know, so all these all these things are about trying to sort of um, shut down on that kind of woundedness, hurt. Um, they, you know, they could sort of blossom into love and compassion and bodhicitta to sort of close down and fix samsara, really. And I guess they all come out of a sense of kind of naivety, um, an illusion about the nature of the world. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <nearly> there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's all about blame externally, but we do blame internally, and we often switch between the two, don't we? Um, so, external blame manifests as kind of anger and judgmentalism, um, self-righteousness, and internal blame uh, manifests as irrational guilt, irrational, these days it's called toxic shame, uh, you know, low self-esteem, which you know, we recognise um, we recognise those feelings. I mean, often it, you know, it's quite quick, doesn't it? Sometimes we're more prone to one than the other. Sometimes we kind of shift. And, uh, yeah, I, I came across a quote that said, in a way they're not that different. They're both an outside finger wagging at you or wagging at the other with some kind of judgement, which is quite interesting. So we're trying to, if we go into self-blame, we go into shame again, we, you know, we need to sort of recognize that feeling for what it is and trying to hold it uh, understand and hold it you know with a greater space of love and compassion so yeah i think it's quite interesting just to look at um, kind of our own views and assumptions that lie under our tendencies to blame it might be like you know things aren't fair why me um, and we live in a, um, a victim blame compensation litigation ex- increasingly that kind of culture don't we where that's where you go and again it's not that one maybe shouldn't take things to law or justice but uh, it just seems yeah we just live in that kind of culture so there's a sort of sense of entitlement I think that arises out of that that you should get what you want things should never go wrong and people shouldn't die and etc <laughs> etc et and um, a friend of mine works in a clinic where she's on reception and uh, she was telling me the other day about, uh, yeah, they have protocols, they have the way things are set up, they either have bookings or they have a walk-in and um, they have a waiting time. And a lot of her time is spent sort of, people saying, well, it's not fair and why can't I see the doctor now? And I, need, I need this drug and why can't I have it now? And she, you know, does her daily kind of work is trying to sort of <laughs> respond to. It's like, I've got to have it now, I don't want to wait. And they, she says, I haven't got the drug under the counter. You do have to go and see the doctor, <laughs> so on and so forth. It's very interesting kind of out there in the world. Isn't it? Anyway, I'm just going to finish in the last four minutes with three and a half a which I'm sure we know very, very well, just to come back to the, um, the, the lines of the, of the sutta. Um, yeah, so these, I mean, I think it all, to me, it all connects with giving up... Um, the power mode, being able to um, work with free and apotropia. So free is that positive sense of shame, remorse, regret, isn't it? And free and apotropia arise out of shraddha. Shraddha has to be there. Shraddha in the three jewels. Uh, shraddha in, in our own kind of potential to grow. Shraddha in the sense of uh, having this kind of 
growing, emerging sense of value, a response to value, a response to truth, a response to the Dharma. So that has to be there. And then when you, you know, for all sorts of reasons, we don't fulfil that, we break precepts, we don't quite act in the way we wish we could, the natural response is to feel remorse, regret, free. It's a kind of, it's a positive and painful emotion, as we know, but there's a kind of, it's a natural response, and the same with apotropia. The free is the inner, what the mind training calls the inner witness. So we, we kind of know, oh, you know, wish I hadn't just said that, you know, that's hurt someone else. Or, uh, apotropia is a little bit more complex, isn't it? Because it's often translated as um, respectful, wise opinion. So it, 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 um, sometimes it's um, translated as something much stronger than that, um, Sort of fear of fear of those with whom we have respect or something which doesn't you know, we don't want to go into that do we fear um, it's more like well you have you have genuine spiritual friends you have a genuine genuine relationship with your spiritual friends with your chapter with your kind of mitras and you don't want to be out of harmony with them I think that's the best way of looking at it you know you do you appreciate me don't think they're perfect. Uh, but they imbue values for you. You may look up to them in some way or other. There is, you know, a positive sense of spiritual hierarchy, and yeah, you don't want to be out of harmony. Um, that I think that's the kind of key, I think, to what you might feel. And uh, you don't have to even be around them. Maybe just, you know, you, you call a friend to mind. You've done something, and you call a friend to mind. You know, maybe that's a particular area of uh, life that they share with you, and you kind of think. I'm going, to have to, I'm going to need to confess that, and you already feel that sense of regret or remorse or apotropia. Um, and it's very important enough work for us, isn't it, to distinguish between the sort of near enemies. Hri um, uh, uh, is irrational guilt, and so many of us still have kind of that tinge of irrational guilt. We come, we seem to come into the Dharma with. I always think young people don't have that these days, but then I discover that they do very strongly, <laughs> just from having worked with some. You know, they, they still feel, yeah, they, they've got self-hatred, irrational guilt, they feel they're going to be told off, you know, all sorts of things. Um, and then apotropia, it's uh, authority projection, isn't it? So this, this is a lot of our work that we need to do in turning around the power mode to the love mode, that we, we, we learn and we help each other to discern the difference. Mm-hmm. To how you know how those manifest, how they feel in the body. Someone confesses something that they don't need to confess because it's not a breaking of the precept. You know, we, we go into that very thoroughly, as well as working with the whole area of blame. So I think it's very very important because I think the spiritual community um, runs, as it were, <laughs> it runs on the love mode and it runs on free and apotropia in terms of faith and then in terms of. You know, that responsiveness to oneself and others, that ethical sensitivity, that growing ethical sensitivity, that ability to take responsibility, to forgive, not to blame. You know, it has so much kind of in it, you know, these two lines, really. Um, the opposites, I guess, maybe are less likely to arise in us, hopefully, but um, uh, the far enemy of free is... I don't care. I just don't care. I revel in my, you know, I rejoice in my kind of unskillfulness. Sort of self-congratulation. I got drunk as a skunk last night. I don't care. Um, (laughs) I don't know if we go that far, but anyway, if you do (laughs) anything. Sometimes there's a sort of rebellion against irrational guilt, isn't there, that kind of people go into that for a bit. But, you know, in a way it needs to be a phase and maybe... Um, maybe a sort of conscious <laughs> working with others where you kind of help a sort of moral re- rebellion and you know the other one uh, in terms of um, respect for wise opinion is very similar I don't care <laughs> I don't care what they think um, yeah so hmm. <laughs> maybe I'll just stop there I mean um, I haven't got much more actually just that I, I just think that all of that leads to confession doesn't it the ability to you know there's a lot one can say about forgiveness which I didn't really go into even in the talk but yeah to not blame if you if you can sort of withdraw renounce blame we're starting to enter that whole arena of forgiveness and not just forgiveness of other but forgiveness of self and forgiveness of 
life, isn't it? You know, a deep understanding of life. It's Kashanti in that deepest level, isn't it? And uh, so, yeah, so renouncing blame, um, cultivating love, cultivating Kriyanapatrapia, Shraddha, forgiveness, and confession are all aspects of changing power into love. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please help us keep this free. Make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. And thank you.